0: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Pucks and Cups. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And don't forget, I have two other podcasts you can enjoy, Canadian History X and From John to Justin, available on all podcast platforms. The NHL has seen its fair share of tough individuals including the legendary Broad Street Bullies of the 1970s. But few were as tough or as vicious as Sprague Cleghorn. The average hockey fan may not know who Clegghorn was, even though he's been in the Hall of Fame since 1958. But he had a large impact on the early NHL and was one of its greatest players. Born in 1890 in Montreal, Clegghorn played for a variety of junior and amateur hockey teams until 1909, when he joined the New York Wanderers of the United States Amateur Hockey Association. He would have an immediate impact, scoring 7 goals in 8 games. In 1910, he switched to the National Hockey Association, where he played for the Renfrew Creamery Kings with his brother, Odie. Playing as a defenseman, he had 5 goals in 12 games, as well as 27 penalty minutes. As a defenseman, he enjoyed joining the rush and would be considered the first offensive defenseman. For the next six seasons, playing for the Montreal Wanderers, he would have 112 points in 103 games. During that same stretch of time, he also registered 238 penalty minutes, amounting to at least one penalty in every game. His highest total was 51 penalty minutes in only 19 games in 1914-15. Although not playing in the 1917-18 NHL season due to the wartime exemption on the condition he did not play professional hockey, he would join the Ottawa Senators for his first NHL season the following year, registering 13 points in 18 games with the team. Clegg Horn would write later, When I signed to play hockey for Ottawa at the beginning of the 1918-19 season, I was mad clear through and thirsting for revenge. Revenge on Canadians. Revenge on George Kennedy. Figure it out for yourself. I wanted to play hockey in Montreal. Kennedy's was the only Montreal club. Kennedy would have no part of me. He told me I was done, finished. Kennedy had said this because Cleghorn had suffered two leg fractures, but Cleghorn felt that he was ready. Cleghorn had wired Tommy Gorman in Ottawa stating, Give me a chance to show you that my legs are good and I've still got my stuff. The response was, Come and show what you can do, which Clegghorn did. In 1919-1920, 19, 19, he would record 21 points in 21 games, along with 85 penalty minutes. He would help lead the Ottawa Senators to the Stanley Cup in 1920 and 1921. In the 1921 run to the Stanley Cup, Clegghorn had 3 points in 5 games and 9 penalty minutes. And despite being a star in Ottawa, he was never very popular there. In 1920, in an attempt to even the playing field in the league, he was transferred by the NHL to the Hamilton Tigers. Refusing to report, the Senators asked the league if he could be brought back. The league threatened to throw Ottawa out of the league if they did, and Clegghorn joined the Toronto St. Patrick's for one year. For the rest of his career, whenever he played against his former Ottawa teammates, Cleghorn would often take cheap shots and instigate brawls in a personal vendetta. Speaking of joining the St. Pats, Clayhorn would write, quote, At Toronto, I teamed with Harry Cameron on defence. Mitchell was in goal, and we won the second section of the split schedule with the aid of Babe Dye, Ken Randall, Corbett Denney, Reg Noble, Doc Smiley, and Bill Stewart. In 1921-22, Clayhorn would find himself playing for the Montreal Canadiens, where he would also play with his brother, Odie. Clayhorn would write, quote, The situation with regard to Canadians had changed. George Kennedy, who had never fully recovered from the effects of the Canadians' trip to the coast at the close of the 1919 season, when the whole club was stricken with influenza and Joe Hall died down there, finally succumbed. Control of the Canadian hockey club had been purchased by a new combination, and those gentlemen were just as keen to have me on their payroll as I was anxious to play in Montreal. In that fashion, I returned to Montreal to play on the same team with Odie, and I was very happy about it. Cleghorn would describe his time with the Canadians as the most pleasant of his hockey memories. He would say of that time, My reason for holding especially friendly recollections of my association with the Canadian hockey club does not come from pride in my achievements while I was wearing a Canadian sweater, so much of my appreciation of the camaraderie and understanding between the owners of the club and the men on their payroll. Through four seasons, there was never the whisper of an argument between us. I signed a blank contract at the beginning of winter, the owners fixed my salary, I never asked the Canadian management for an increase, and I always got it if it was coming to me on the record. His best season with the team was 1921 22, when he had 26 points in 24 games and 80 penalty minutes, which was second among NHL defensemen for the year. For the next three seasons, Cleghorn would be named Captain of the Canadians, and as Captain, he would win the Stanley Cup in 1923-24, the last of his career. That same season, he would play second in Hart Trophy voting, losing to Senators forward Frank Nyberg. In his last season with the Canadians, 1924-25, he would record 18 points in 27 games, and hit a career high in penalty minutes with 89. By this point, he was beginning to feel his age on the ice. And he would write in 1935, quote, Your legs show it first, and there's no use trying to fight it off, because the man who sits on the bench, if he's any sort of coach, can see it. Even though you swear by all the gods that be, you're okay. You're not as fast as you were last year, and the year before. You know more than these smart kids who are burning ice under their toes. But you just can't put what you know into action. At the end of the season, he was sold to the Boston Bruins for $5,000, or $75,000 in today's funds. The move to Boston was done on his blessing, with Canadians' management stating that Art Ross wanted him in Boston to study the new team as a veteran. Cleghorn would say, quote, Ross was my old friend since school days. I knew nothing of Charles F. Adams, but I did know that Art Ross was the white-haired boy in his hockey enterprise. I made my deal with Ross, and Charles Adams accepted the terms without a murmur. In his next three seasons with the Bruins, he served as the unofficial captain and was also the assistant coach in his last year. It was with the Bruins that he helped serve as a mentor to an up-and-coming defenseman by the name of Eddie Shore. Clay Corn would say, quote, I broke him in big time. I claim some of the credit for making sure the standout defenseman he is today. He had a lot of stuff when he joined us, but there were still things he needed to learn, and I taught him those things. In those three seasons, he had 23 points in 109 games, along with 145 penalty minutes. In 1925-26, he would again play second in Hart Trophy voting, losing this time to Maroon's forward, Nels Stewart. At the end of his career, his 148 points was second all-time among NHL defensemen, behind only George Boucher, and his 85 goals was third behind Boucher and Harry Cameron. While his time in the NHL was done, he would play another season with the Newark Bulldogs where he served as a player manager. This was followed by his last season of professional hockey in 1929-30 with the Providence Reds. In his two seasons coaching the Reds, he led the team to 47 wins and 22 losses. In 1929-30, the team won the league championship and lost in the second round in 1930-31. Now I need to take some time away from talking about his statistics to talk about the player that he was. Clanghorn is considered one of the greatest defensemen in NHL history, but also one of the nastiest players to ever take the ice. It is said that he played as if he was unfamiliar completely with the rules of hockey. His stick was used with skill to score goals and lead his team to victory, but was also used on his opponents. Many players on opposing teams stayed clear of wherever Cleghorn was on the ice. Cleghorn's style of play could only be described as angry. In 1923, he struck Senators' defenseman Lionel Hitchman in the head with a stick and was charged with aggravated assault. His own team suspended him after the incident and fined him. In another incident, he injured three players on the Senators' team and Ottawa now attempted to have him removed from the league. One reverie called him a disgrace to the game. Once, when Bill Bridge gave Cleghorn a knee, elbow, and a stick, Clegghorn waited, and when the time was right, gave Bridge a hit that required 50 stitches. In a later game, after taunting Clegghorn, Ace Bailey was crushed with a hit. Bridge came up to him and said, Stay down, you crazy bastard. Do you want to get killed? Going back to his vendettas against Ottawa players, in one game against Ottawa, he injured Frank Nyberg, Cy Denany, Tommy Gorman, and Eddie Gerard. This all resulted in police action and the league made moves to ban Clegghorn for life, but two teams would not agree to the ban. Clegghorn once said he was involved in at least 50 incidents and sent another player off the ice in a stretcher. And according to legend, Evelyn Bing was so disturbed by Clegghorn's playing style, that she donated the Lady Bing trophy to the NHL in 1924 to encourage sportsmen like playing speaking of Clegghorn, king clancy once said quote was a terrible man to play against a terrible stick handler a master of the butt end and tough holy jesus he was tough in 1931 32 became the coach of the montreal maroons taking them to 19 wins and 22 losses, which allowed them to finish third in the Canadian division. Making it into the playoffs, the team was eliminated by the eventual Stanley Cup champion Toronto Maple Leafs. In 1935, he was hired to coach the Pittsburgh Shamrocks of the IHL, but he was fired after getting into an argument with Roy Babcock, the president of the club, over his salary. The media said that Claghorn had refused to leave with the team for a game in Windsor because he claimed the team had not been paid yet. The ownership of the Shamrock said that Cleghorn did not join the team because he had been suspended for misconduct covering the previous month. In response, on March 14, 1936, Claghorn filed a lawsuit claiming he was owed $420 in salary plus a $1,000 bonus. The last coaching job for Clickhorn would be with the Cornwall Cougars, which lasted for one month. After going winless in the first six games and losing 11-0 at home, he was fired. Married three times, his marriages were sometimes rocky. In 1918, he was arrested for beating his first wife with a crutch. That wife would divorce him in 1921 after finding him with another woman. And then he would remarry twice, with his third wife predeceasing him. On June 29, 1956, while walking to work in Montreal, he was hit by a car and sustained severe head injuries and a fractured vertebrae. He would die two weeks later on July 12, at the age of 66. Cleghorn was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1958, and the Hockey News would rank him as the 88th greatest player of all time in 1999. Following Cleghorn's death, his brother would say of him, Quote, he was my brother, and I don't like to boast, but I never saw a tougher or better defenseman than Sprague. Two days later, Odie died in his sleep, only hours prior to Sprague's funeral. In speaking of his life in hockey, his profession in 1935, Claghorn would say, quote, Hockey is the finest game on earth. Your boy today has advantages which Odie and Sprague Claghorn never imagined back in 1910, The game is organized, settled, controlled. Frank Calder, undoubtedly the biggest individual in professional hockey in 1934, was once a schoolmaster. The young players your son will meet and associate with will be educated as he is. Many of them will be university graduates. Their manners, their general outlook on life and living are better, finer. And as always, providing that your boy does not lose his sense of proportion No occupation in Canada equals professional hockey for a young man for a few years and financial rewards if he has the hockey instinct. Would I do the same again? Suppose that I had the chance? You bet your life I would. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Pucks and Cups, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you want to reach me, you can. Just email craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website, where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And again, you can support the podcast by going to Patreon. Just go to Patreon.com CanadaEHX. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron ohara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roya, Luke Guess, Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. If you like, you can reach me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash canadianhistoryx. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. Information comes from the Hockey Hall of Fame, Elite Prospects, NHL.com, Wikipedia, HockeyDB, Canadians.com, Habs Legends, and McLean's Magazine. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.